All right, I am here with Mark Thompson, CEO and founder of GroceryAnchor.com. I have received his emails over the years many, many times, and I'm happy to finally meeting him in person for the first time. So thank you so much for for joining. Thanks for having me. Mark is, um, again, I'll let you describe GroceryAnchor.com, but it it is absolutely a a dynamic uh, application, website, for our industry, so take it away. Yeah, so uh, my history is a broker. I spent the last 10 years being a broker, and I basically built the site that I've always wanted to have kind of in our ecosystem. So the problem that we have right now in technology as it relates to, to real estate is that there's really one choice when it comes to information and data out there. It's basically a cable package. You know, and right. you buy this kind of draconian cable package, and you get optics on a six-unit apartment complex in Seattle, an office building in Dallas, you know, a self-storage facility in D.C. What about the users out there that just want one segment of that? So think of grocery.com as kind of like the golf channel to the cable package that's out there. And so we're basically an inch wide and a mile deep in the grocery sector. So we call it like the cars.com grocery real estate where, you know, if Mike Conway has 15 minutes a day, where can he go to see every deal that's on the market, every transaction that's occurred, and then a news feed that's updated literally every day? And so we're basically offering institutional-level understanding and knowledge for you know, someone that's pressed for time, amalgamating all this data into one place. So if you wanted to basically find all this stuff out there, you'd have to go to dozens of different websites. You have to comb through hundreds, if not a 1,000 articles a day to get all this stuff. Very difficult to do, but we've consolidated that whole thing. So no, I think it, it's very interesting. So it, essentially, it boils down to it, it shows the, all of the on-market deals in the grocery anchored sector, plus yeah. a daily news feed, plus I mean you can see sales comps as well. So right. it's a great kind of one-stop option to to get all of the grocery anchored information that we're looking for out there. So. Uh, no, I think it's it's a great concept, and I understand you're ready to go to market with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we spent the last basically year tracking every nuance, trialing it, you know, cultivating to where we feel like it's a product that coming out of the box adds value day one. So, you know, when you try to get your arms around twenty five thousand grocery stores across the country, even those kind of like uh, derivative grocery stores have eight or ten units. Trying to get your arms around the overall ecosystem. Like right now, there's 551 grocery anchor deals that are on the market for sale today, listed through 248 different brokerage teams. So when you're a PICO or when you're a, even a regional-sized company, trying to get your arms around all of that is difficult right. to do. So it took us basically a year to do that, and now we're basically repackaging it in a way that you know can save save the save the industry a tremendous amount of time. I mean, just the sheer amount of time that we're spending right. as an industry putting all this stuff together, I'm surprised it actually hasn't been built already. That's very smart. Now, I've got to ask you, you so you're a broker as well. All right, so, so do you get a piece yeah, of the yeah, deal? Yeah, great, great question. So uh, I hung up my brokerage, uh, my brokerage basically activities because, well, let me tell you how it started actually. So. I was broken for a regional size company. I was fighting for deals, you know, calling the Dave Wicks of the world, yep. you know, and saying, hey, look, we can sell your deal and, and uh, competing against the larger brokerage houses. And so my philosophy was, well, let's just be grocery and that's it. And we'll carve that niche and really understand that market so we can go to groups and say, hey, we understand this better than maybe some other folks. Well, 
we ended up bidding on a deal. We lost the deal, private, private size seller. We lost the deal. And about three days later, the guy that won the deal emailed our website and said, Hey, I think I'd love to list on this site. Now we were just using grocerynger.com. I was going to say, did he know that this was your, no, oh, okay. Didn't know. And so we were using the domain to kind of sell our own stuff. And then when I got that email, I thought, that's interesting. You know, he doesn't realize that, you know, we just lost. Yeah, you're bidding against him. Right. And so, and I wonder if the seller understands that. And then all of a sudden, Mike, we started to get inbound emails and calls from folks who say, hey, I've got a grocery deal in the Northeast. I got one in the, the, we were doing no marketing, zero. And these were brokerage teams that you've heard of, that I've heard of. And I thought, this is interesting. Maybe there's a need here. But I can't ask someone, a competitor, to list on a site where I'm also listed because right. I can't turn my eyes right. from the optics that the site produces. So we made a kind of a big business decision and said, well, what if we just stepped aside from brokerage? I mean, does the market need another brokerage company? Right. I mean, do they need so another you, one? you went the tech route. Yeah. So I like it. what's interesting is that if you look at real estate companies that are not owners, landlords, and if I said, Mike, can you name five uh, real estate brokerage companies. You, I mean, just you can do it yeah, in your sleep. Rattle them off. CBJLL, yeah. the Alphabet's yeah. HFF, right? If I asked you to name five tech companies, you would probably struggle after four or five, right? Yeah. But yet, if you look at CBRE's market cap, they're right around 15 billion. You look at the number one tech company in our industry, we all know what it is, it's 13 billion. They're almost the same size. Wow. A lot of people don't understand that and don't know that, and yeah. yet, there are hundreds of brokerage companies. There are tens right. of listing houses in the Coast CoStar. Oh, it's, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Coastar. Coastar. Okay. So, so they're, 13, they're 13 billion? I get the same response from I everyone. No idea. Right? So they're almost the size of CBRE for market wow. cap basis. They wow. have 1,000 employees. CB has 80,000. Yeah. But they're virtually the same size. Wow. So we looked at that and said, does, does the ecosystem need another brokerage house? Right. Does it need another brokerage team? I mean, can we are we are we that much better than someone else? And and the answer we came with was we're not, but can we take the ecosystem and add value to it to the tech side and build the tech company or build the tech platform that I personally always wanted to list on? So let's jump into just grocery in general, yeah. or the current state of retail, yeah. in your opinion. But obviously, you let, let's slant it toward the grocery sector. Yeah, sure. Um, I would love to hear from you, just your opinion on what's happening out there, what you're seeing with the deals that you're listing, yeah. as well as how you see just, uh, let's say, the grocery anchored center evolving. Yeah, sure. So a lot of different questions tied into that one. So I'll try to I'll try to pick them off. So. A couple of things. One, just from a topical standpoint, I'm not smart enough to figure out the secondary market power center. So I, I don't, I don't know what happens to that. I mean, if, if you get a center that's you know, circa mid '90s construction, and your shop or your box tenants are you know nine dollars, eight dollars, you've got capex coming up. You got to repave the parking lot. You got to put a new roof on. You got to put a new You have some vacancies now. You got some vacancies. Right. There's downward pressure on your rents. I'm not smart to figure that that deal out without a cap rate that's significantly decompressed, where my risk is mitigated. You know, you may not have population growth, and there's literally thousands of those deals out throughout the country. So from that perspective, 
that's kind of my thesis on that sure. particular product. But would you, is it a fair statement to say that good real estate is good real estate? In the, even the ones, even if there are thousands on market right now, that the, the well-located um, shopping centers in that category will still yeah. do well. So I think that the well-located shopping, like how do you define that? So I think that if you're a shopping center, the power center variety, and you have a vacancy, or there's a tenant that's expanding, and you're one of the top three centers in that market that that tenant expands to and hits that market says, Austin, okay, where are the, power, where are the top three power centers? And you're in that conversation, then that's a viable piece. Secondly, if you're, you know, you're in an MSA where that may not be a power center 15 years from now, but you've bought the real estate, there certainly real estate right. is always the play there. And, and thirdly, I think if your basis is fair, you know, if you enter that deal on a good basis, that is a finite number of that type of product, right? And so if you look through, say, the Southeast or even the Midwest, there's a handful of deals you look at and go, geez, what are we going to do with the, you know, the box television of, of our kind of our industry? And I don't, I don't know the answer to that. So I've never heard it described as that, I mean, but I love the it's analogy. It's a flat screen world, and uh, that is great. You know, I can't figure out what to do with the box TV. And some of our maybe our younger listeners will. I mean, is it fair to say <laughs> that, that is absolutely fair to say? So you look at that aspect, then you look at the single tenant market, and that's you know that market's been on fire for like the last five or six years. I mean, the the, the amount of bad advice I've given to people who own single tenants, like saying it's the top of the market, now's the time to sell. I've just been dead wrong keeps, keeps going. for five consecutive years on that point. And I think it's just the buying pool for that asset is tremendous. You have $500,000. How many people out there have half a million bucks of disposable in this particular genre? There's a lot. And right. so that market's going to continue to churn. What's happened is the cap rates have compressed on that space, which have jumped people into the strip center business. And we've seen the strip center when business. When did you see that happen? You know, it's interesting. I think it's, there's a direct correlation between cap rate compression and single tenants. And then when you started to see 14 was probably 14. when I started to see compression. Yeah. Well, started jumping into the strip. Right. So yeah. that single tenant buyer was so compressed on a cap. I'm not going to buy a McDonald's at a three and a half cap. Where can I buy that three tenant center? that you know, I can get it at six and a half and feel great. And then you started to see rents climb because construction started, started to happen in those strip deals. So rents started to climb. And now that like, the, the cap rates are compressed in the, in the strip center business, but the rents, I mean, my goodness, some yeah, of these deals are, are, the right are, are incredibly expensive on a cap rate. So your price per square foot on some of these deals is you know, approaching levels that I think that, I mean, I don't know if we're going to get much higher on a price per square foot on some of these deals. So what happens... So cap rates are still compressed on the single tenant. Yeah, your your pool of buyers has jumped into the strip, but now the strip segment. But now the rents are up, and we're probably would you say we're tap? I wouldn't say we're tapped out in that market, but where do you see people jump into next? Well, I, you know, at, at that point, you're talking about different product types. I think from that standpoint, but I mean. The and I'm not certainly not an expert on, on the uh, on the apartment multifamily side, but I mean anyone who has an ambient understanding of that right. understands that market is extremely extremely hot. You know, if you start looking at like self storage facilities, yeah, you know, small bay self storage is always yeah. there. So from a retail, I was just curious more than yeah, anything. But, from a retail but, perspective, you've talked about the single tenants. We've talked about the the power centers. You know, there's 2,500 malls in America. I'm, I'm somewhat, that's not my purview. Malls, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's not really my purview. And then you look at Grocery Anchor, there's 25,000 Grocery Anchor shopping centers across the country. Cap rates on those assets, 
pretty much mirror 2017 to 2018. Those two years, pretty much about the same in terms of deals that went to market, in terms of cap rates. But then you start looking at the technological advancements that occurred. And I think that you know, the, the, the 2017 story, you know, 20, this is 2016, 2017, you know, give me some course correction on this, when, when Whole Foods was bought by Amazon, 2016, that, uh, 2017, the year 17. 2017. So 2017, Whole Foods gets purchased by Amazon. Huge story. The 2018 story that I cannot figure out that I think, and this may be controversial, that is bigger than the Amazon acquisition of Whole Foods is the Okada story. To me personally, I think that's a bigger story. Yeah. The ramifications of that, and I cannot understand, and, and you know, Mike, maybe illuminate this for me. I do not know why this is not a major topic, not only just in the grocery space, but in the retail space. And here's a couple of reasons why I think it's a major topic that some are obvious, but some are, I think, less obvious. There's one brand out there that has potentially better warehousing than Amazon. They're called Kroger. If you've seen the Okada footage, if you've seen those, those warehouses, now you're talking about they've just second-genned Amazon warehouses. Right. So you think about the implications of that on just the industrial side of things is tremendous. If you look at an Okada store, just rough numbers, one Okada store fulfillment is worth about 30 Kroger's. So when mean, they, from a square square footage? From a, sa from a sales oh, perspective. From a, oh, wow, wow, from a sales wow. That's, I didn't know that. So in mean, this rough numbers here, yeah. and these are my back of the napkin numbers with yeah. you know, a couple of you know, buddies that I have in the industry who've looked at these sorts of things too, but you're talking about 30 units worth of sales. So when you talk about putting one of those, say, in Central Florida, you're not putting one Kroger. In, you're putting 30 Kroger's. That's... That's a bomb that goes off in, a, in an ecosystem, in a market, whether it be fragile or not. You know, that's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. So, and the inter interesting play there is Kroger, Kroger does not have a presence in Florida. So, to your point, it does that. You know, if it works, it's a huge uh, investor. I mean, it's a, huge it's a billion dollar question. Yeah, I mean, does it automatically eat into Publix? So, if you look at, you know, let's take Florida for example, and. I'm from Central Florida, live in Central Florida rather. So they have a luck they have Luckies in Florida. Right. So it's their it's their brand in, in, in Florida and it allows them to have a kind of a basic understanding of the market. But they haven't they haven't gone crazy with the amount of expansion in the state. But certainly what I think it's gonna be interesting to see is that, you know, for the shopper that's say thirty plus, right, in Florida, they don't know Kroger, right? And so there's no brand recognition from a Kroger's perspective, they have to build that brand recognition in the state of Florida to basically get that 30 plus shop. How do you see that playing out? Because it, will they brand it Ocado or is it? I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. You know, I think that they, they certainly spent a lot of time on it because otherwise I, I can't, they're very sharp folks and, and right. they're not making many mistakes. Right. Uh, and they, they certainly think they've, they, if they're going to enter that state and they've figured out the, the way to do it. Well, that's a good good segue. So, in general, I yeah. mean, so the Ocado topic bring begs the question of you know, delivery, grocery yeah, sure. delivery. So, yeah. what are your thoughts around that? And so, do you a, see that playing? A out? couple of different things. One is that I think it's certainly a, a hot topic, but let's let's not re, let's not forget delivery was invented by Harris Teeter in the 1940s. So they were the first ever to deliver. And if you go back and you're a nerd like me and you look at the history of delivery. The peak of the milkman era, how much milk was getting delivered to store? Well, it's 38% of, of the U.S. population was having milk delivered. Wow. 
38%. So if you think about where we are today, quite the history buff versus where the, <laughs> where the milkman of yesterday was, we're not even close to that aspect of it. So look, delivery is going to be something that, um, you know, if I look at my interns now, first of all, college kids don't go grocery shopping, so it's a bad segment to pull, but they're very, very comfortable with delivery and the concept of it. The whole idea of like, you know, the stodgy uh, person saying, I like to pick my fruits and vegetables out, uh, which that stodgy person is getting younger and younger for me every day. But uh, I think that's that's going to be the bygone era that you're, you're going to be hard People to will adapt, right? Yeah, they, they'll yeah. be fine with that. So delivery will be a huge portion of it. I think that the runway for that's significant. And you're going to read article after article after article of delivery growth going 40% and 50% and store sales growth growing at four or five. Well, certainly the 40% growth, we're going to see that, 30% growth, 20% growth, those kind of um, those monstrous numbers because the runway is so big. You know, uh, Jim Sutter of Whole Foods made a comment a couple years ago on a panel that, that I was involved with, said that Europe's basically 20% delivery. delivery. And he feels like that America, you know, the U.S. will run to about 20%, and then it'll basically top out there. What's interesting is, is that if you look at the store and, you know, Ted Frumpkin's here and Sprouts and what, what they're doing. You know, you're not going to buy toilet paper in a grocery store again, ever. Right. I mean, right. first of all, who likes buying 24 rolls of toilet paper, <laughs> checking out? You know, it's a necessary evil, but that's just not going to happen. If you look at Amazon, um, you know, one of, the, one of the, the metrics that's growing the fastest is the batteries. Because no one cares about brand batteries. You know, and if you look at where you check on a grocery, there's the battery. So there's certain elements that you and I bought it in a grocery store that, you know, our kids are going to look at and go, I can't believe you bought that in a grocery store. So what does that mean for the footprint of the box, right? So if you look at, say, a, a grocery store like Lowe's in North Carolina, they're a, they're a private grocery store down there, and 25% of their GLA is dedicated towards place. Right, so you can't actually buy a product on this square foot within look. Twenty, you think about twenty-five percent is dedicated towards creating a place where you can go, take your family, farm, cha- you know, farm right. tables in so there. So it's coffee, coffee. It's those kind of sushi. It's sandwiches. It's you know, it's everything in the shop space is moving yeah. inside the box to some extent. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, to, to that point. I'm seeing a lot of, you know, through Kroger and the other banners out, Publix does a great job. It's it's more localization, yeah. right? So it's it's the local market adapting to that consumer um, and having, you know, having the local barbecue guy, the local whatever it may be, pizza shop inside of the grocery right. store. Um, I know there's, there's some concepts out there that are experimenting with food halls. I think that's kind of a, in their urban locations. Um, so I think that, that, uh, I think we're going to see a lot of change, but but yeah, back to your your point on what does that what happens to the, to, to the footprint of yeah, the box? Sure. So, a couple of different things on that. One is that grocery stores have a tremendous advantage by their business model. So, there's no other retailer that can say what I'm about to say. So, one in seven people are going to walk into a grocery store today across this country. One in seven, right? So, the feedback loop on a grocery store is significantly faster than pick. You know, pick a great Dick Sporting Goods, great retailer. They've got me four times a year, five right. kids, maybe right. six times a year. So a grocery store has me once to twice a week. So their feedback loop and optics is significantly faster, so they can make adjustments significantly faster. And so that's what you've seen the last two years is 
kind of the golden age of grocery adapting to what the consumer wants. And I think, sure, Whole Foods being bought by Amazon kind of shook the industry a little bit and said, hey, we've got to make some changes here. But even Amazon said, we can't crack this monster unless we become a part of it. I mean, they destroyed the book business, right? Right. right. They had to be a part of the grocery industry. So I think that the what you're going to see is the box is going to change. You know, you go to Publix, they have a cooking school at Publix. You know, it's in the back right-hand corner. You can go there on a Saturday night and see 60 people at a cooking school. You have 60 people in the back of a Publix on a Saturday night that otherwise would never be there. Then they walk through the aisles, they pick out the things that would help them create what they just learned how to make in the cooking school. You look at all these kind of different models. Albertsons just built, built a store, their new model. They have 200 chairs in the store. 200 chairs to hang out. So you can rent uh, the second you story. Know your facts. <laughs> this is good. You can rent the second story of the Albertsons for business meetings. Wow. Right? Yeah. This is a grocery store we're talking about here. So they're renting the second story where if you, if you want to you know, have a business meeting or maybe, look, you don't have the money to afford a huge office with some huge you know, holiday party, Albertsons is there for you, right. your local grocery store. And guess what they'll do? They'll cater it. Oh, too, right, right, right. And so when you start talking about the relationship that this particular retailer, this, retail, this side of the retail industry has with the consumer, it's very personal. We talk about food. And so they've adapted to create, uh, to get closer to you, as if they could get any closer than they already are. I right. mean, you look at the the, yeah, the, the experiential aspect no of, of retail that we that we hear a lot about, and I think the grocers are are really leading that charge and um, have the best examples of, of true. And I, I don't right. think we think about it when we think experiential. We think Top Golf and taking your kids to the trampoline park and stuff. Right. But the grocers really, really have stepped it up over the last couple of years. Part you know, partly in due to the response to Amazon, Whole Foods. But um, I think it's a healthy change for the industry. I really do. Um, let me ask you this. So yeah. I had two questions pop in mind. What are your thoughts around you know, Aldi and yeah, sure. the impact? Yeah. So Aldi's a, uh, we have a new seat on our site. And every, every day we spend, you know, in total maybe 12 hours amalgamating all the articles that are out there. Mike, there's not a day that goes by when there's not one or two all the openings on our newsfeed. So one is they are uh, now in California, and they've been in California now for a couple of years. So they're now seasoned in the California market. There was a question as to whether they were going to stay in California because they, they, you know, they pulled back a little bit. Now they went to California. And what's interesting about California for Aldi is that you know they have been a store that's been the 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 bargain hunting kind of the socioeconomic. Um, affordability scale. You go to California and you go to Aldi in California, uh, there's Teslas in the parking lot. It is hip to shop at Aldi because it's hip to save money. And I don't know what wand they waved, whether it was just the amount of dollars they put into their store to add the refrigeration, to add the better lighting, to add the the better flooring and these sorts of things. Yeah, their product offering is, is a little bit better now. Right? It was a little unorganized at first. Um, with some you know, random bins of, right. of stuff, you know, that didn't necessarily appeal to the American consumer. So I think they've definitely improved on that aspect. Uh, the raw material was there. It just that I think, as you're saying, they've organized it and they've they've kind of rounded out the rough edges. So I, I mean, they're a juggernaut. They're not going anywhere, you know. And a lot of people don't know this too, but 
the same company owns Trader Joe's. I mean, it's Aldi and Trader Joe's are the same. It's the Albrecht brothers out of Germany. So, you know, if you look at Trader Joe's, uh, highest sales per square foot of any retailer in the grocery industry. I mean, it's not uncommon to see them at $1,200, $1,400, $1,600 a foot. Uh, Aldi is, you know, different model. I understand different model. We all understand that, but... But sophisticated Sophisticated operator. operator. Correct. So, I mean, that's my, yeah. you know, Cliff Notes answer to your, what do I think yeah. of Aldi? So if you're a Phillips Edison or, we go. A, a, big, right, or, we go. or a, a big REIT yeah. out there yeah. um, and you're looking at your, you're always fine tuning your acquisition strategy. Sure. So in today's volatile market of, of all the banners out there and pending consolidation and things that we've talked about. Paint the picture, Mike. Who, Paint the picture. Who would the top four, top, top four, four grocers four? that you would go after from an acquisition standpoint. All right, so first of all, I would say throw away what you see Wall Street tell you. Because every 90 days reporting on Kroger, what, what Kroger has done, so I'll give you this hint, Kroger's one of the top four. How you how delineate them is up to you, but right now Kroger has an autonomous vehicle in Arizona, right? They're investing billions of dollars into a warehouse facility It's gonna be uh, revolutionary. Uh, the things they're doing across the, the board. Walgreens partnership. That's right, the Walgreens partnership. So the street's not giving them any credit for that, right? And yet I think the things they're doing are, are exciting and it shows that they're willing to take chances, right? And their store sales continue to do just fine. So you have to put Kroger in that mix. Secondly, you know, we talk a lot about Amazon and Whole Foods, but you have to put Whole Foods in that mix too. Just from a purely cap rate perspective, the market has said and stated and spoken that, that they believe that Amazon Whole Foods is going to be around for a long time. Now, you and I both remember before Amazon purchased Whole Foods, the amount of media. I mean, it was like they were uh, getting the, the annihilated. World was, the retail world, the An grocery world was ending, right? Annihilated. I mean, just getting absolutely hammered. And the second they get purchased, they can do no wrong. So, But I think that basically if you own a Whole Foods, you have basically got your membership card to the Retail Relevance Club in perpetuity. Because I don't see Amazon going anywhere in the near future. So you got Kroger and Amazon. And I think if you look at, say, regional grocers, you have to love HEB. A great, great banner. Uh, they seem to be very smart, very prudent in how they operate. They certainly have just a lock on Texas. I mean, just a complete lock. So you're looking at regional strength, not being spread too thin. I mean, HEB has to be in that mix. I'm at three right now. I got one more well, to squeeze in. Uh, we're, we haven't, isn't this funny? We've talked now for what, 20, 30 minutes? We haven't talked, we haven't mentioned the word Walmart yet. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, Walmart, you talk about Walmart. This is one of the great stories, I think, in retail. In 2000, Walmart didn't sell groceries. You know, 10, 15 years later, selling 50% of every grocery that's bought uh, across the country. So, yeah, we haven't mentioned Walmart at all. And, I mean, let's, I mean, they've made some excellent uh, acquisitions and in investments in technology, acquisitions of uh, Bonobos. So everyone forgets Walmart owns Bonobos, yeah. um, which is really interesting, an interesting play. But then Jet.com, of yeah. course, plus all of their. Um, technological advances with their grocery pickup and in-store pickup um, I mean, and right, delivery right now, system. Walmart, in fact, there's a deal on the market just outside of Chicago that's a Walmart store that's only pickup. 
And so I think it's, it's Mid-America, there's a plug for Mid-America. Mid-America has it on the market right now, sub six cap on the ask. It's only pickup. That's it. So that's a, that's a revolutionary uh, So would they be top four? I think they have to be they top four. Be. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I think that you have to put them in the top four. Tough question, Mike. <laughs> and there's a lot to choose from, depending on your angle. So. I don't have an angle here. I'm just, just talking shop. <laughs> I would just say, you know, when you look at the grocery industry, it's the most dynamic retail space there is. And I don't know if you can argue that. And I clearly have a bias, you have a bias, but it's sing the single most dynamic space. I mean, let's take for example, like Toys R Us, right? Uh, they want to sell toys off the shelf and they did not adjust, right? So you and I should be going to the Lego championships at, at Toys R Us. We should be having office parties where we dump slime on each other. It should be experiential like crazy. Well, the feedback loop didn't allow, and a lot of reasons for this, but the feedback loop allows grocers to understand what their what their market wants. They can make the adjustments, and we're, you know, I think we're just at the beginning of seeing this particular space make adjustments and change. We have this podcast ten years from now, which I'm looking forward to, uh, to having this ten years from now. The conversation we go back and listen to this, it's going to be incredible. Completely different, Completely right? Completely different. Uh, and I'm looking forward to having that. Absolutely. Mark Thompson, I, I'm going to give you the, the grocery guru. <laughs> I mean, seriously, you, you are extremely knowledgeable. Really appreciate your time today. Everyone check out groceryanchor.com for the latest on-market deals, sales comps, and news feeds. Uh, do you want, if people can reach you, where with email? You know, uh, it's very simple. MT at groceryanchor.com. That's right. it. Sounds good, Mark. Thanks, Mike. Sounds good. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. Absolutely.